We're going to be in Luke chapter 13, starting at verse 10. So we're going to open in prayer as we get ready for the word. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we present your word. Help us to understand what you would want us to see from all of this. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 13, starting at verse 10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed to, together and could in no wise lift herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called unto her and said unto her, Woman, you are loosened from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the rulers of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, There are six days in which man ought to work, and in them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered and said unto you hypocrites, do ye not each of you on the Sabbath loose his ox and his donkey from the stall and lead him away to, to water? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, lo, these eighteen years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had asked these things, all of his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things which were done by him." We just want to look at this because this is a very great picture of the idea of law and bondage as compared to the grace that we just sang about. And so this is something we want to look at. Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, and that's the first one we want to talk about. He was recognized by the people as somebody that could come in and be a teacher. So he wasn't rejected by them. He wasn't looked down on them. They didn't always like his message, but he did have the title of rabbi even amongst the people, and the people recognized this as he was somebody that would come in. And while he was preaching in this synagogue, a person, a woman came in that said she had an infirmity. Now this kind of word, infirmity, is kind of an interesting word. The idea is she was so frail, she was bent over, and in pain. If you've seen anybody like this, they're very weak, you just know that they are very sick. She was hunched over, could not stand up straight, and frail. And you know, we see this in our elderly frequently. This person though was, had been this way for 18 years, and I don't think by the description of it that she was elderly. You know, it doesn't make it sound like she was, and maybe she was, but for 18 years, she was frail and weak and couldn't stand up. You know, and I think this is really significant for us. How many times do we get burdened down by the sin in our life and we get to the place where we cannot walk with God, we have trouble even doing anything and serving God? And this is something we need to understand. Jesus says that she was bound by Satan. Now this is why we don't know how come we don't know and it really does not matter because our tendency is to judge people well if this person must really be somebody bad for all these bad things to happen sometimes we do the same thing to ourselves i've done something bad for all these bad things to happen and while that may or may not be true it's not it ultimately does not matter because by god's 
grace, he will forgive us and give us strength to go forward. You know, we, we look at the story of Job. You know, and I love the story of Job, and we're going to be teaching Job here sometime in the near future. You know, Job, it's attacked by Satan. And what if what does his friends and what is, even his wife think? Well, Job, you've done something awful and terrible for all this bad stuff to be happening to you. Now, if you've read the book of, the, of Job, we have an advantage. We get to hear God in heaven tell Satan, this is a perfect and just man, an upright man. So we know that God's testimony of him is that he's good. The world's testimony of him, and even the religious testimony of him, you've done something wrong and terrible. But ultimately, does it matter why somebody is suffering? And the answer is no. Now, when I've said this many times, if we are suffering, we need to look at ourselves and say, have I done an overt sin that I need to repent from? And I don't want anybody going and looking too deep because if we go too deep, we'll all find sin because our heart is deceptively wicked and, and evil. So if we look really deep, we're going to find some reason. Well, yeah, it's because I didn't do this. No, it's not going to be because you didn't do that because we are covered by God's grace and, and, and covered with the blood of Christ and the clothing of Christ. But if you're going out and you're purposely doing some kind of sin and you go, I know I shouldn't be doing, repent, turn from it and confess it. Accept, accept the punishment for it. If you don't find anything, just sit back and say, God, I'm going to endure and I want, and you, waiting for you to show me what is going to come from this. And I love my favorite verse, which you all know is Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. I know darn well, no matter what happens to me, and because it says all things, even if I did something to cause the bad things to happen to me, God is going to do something good from it. Isn't that good news for you? you know, no matter what happens to you, God's got a plan for it. Whether it's just him testing me to see if I'm going to stay faithful, which he does a lot, just as he did with Job, or it's because I did something stupid and I'm being punished. God still has a plan to turn it for good. And I don't know about you all, but that gives me great comfort. That God always has a plan for my life. No matter what I do, he's got a plan. If I reject his testing me to see if I'm going to trust him, he still has a plan. If I accept it, he's got a plan. If I'm sinning and he's punishing me, he's got a plan. And my sin was not a surprise to him. You know, I love it that nothing surprises God. He is not surprised when sinners sin. Just as, and I've said this many times, I'm not surprised when sinners sin. Why? Because that's what sinners do. Sinners sin. How many times do we get surprised when some fellow Christian does something that we think is a sin and, and makes us mad at them? Why does that make us, why are we surprised? We are all sinners. Now, hopefully we've grown and we've been sanctified and we shouldn't be doing as much sin. And I am more disappointed when a Christian sins than when a non-Christian sins. But I do know that we're all sinners and we're going to sin. So I'm not going to sit there, well, I can't be with that person. They're sinning. 
oh, that person over there can't be with them either. They're sinning. No, that is what they are. They're a sinner. Yes, they're a sinner saved by grace, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And if I start understanding that they are saved by grace, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, how should I be treating them? As if they are clothed in the righteousness of Christ and they are the saint that they are. Can you imagine what would happen if we as a church started treating each other the way God sees us? How does God see us? When you are saved, we are justified and we are declared perfect in God's sight. Now we know we're not perfect, but you know what? God from heaven says you are perfect. And because God lives outside of time, he already deals with us in our glorified state. Because that's how he sees us. Because he is not bound by time. He is not watching me take, in my case, the 50 years that I've been walking with him, learning to be more and more perfect. He says, I'm going to deal with you as you will be 50 years from now when you're glorified. What a beautiful picture of how God deals with us. You know, too many Christians have got this picture of God looking at him and saying he's just up there waiting to beat us over the head. All right, you know, he's up there with a great big baseball bat waiting for me to do just one little thing wrong so he can hit me. What does that do to us as Christians? It makes us afraid to serve God because we might just do something wrong and have him punish us. But do you realize that God is saying, I just want you to serve. Step out and do. You know, all, most of us have had some kids around that we taught how to walk. We taught them how to talk. Now we may have regretted teaching them how to walk and talk after the fact, but we wanted them to learn to walk and talk. I don't think God's any different. He wants us to learn to talk, to share with him with others. He wants us to learn to walk and serve. We need to get that confidence that grace is covering us, which gives us liberty to do things and not be stuck. And here, this woman was bound up. And Jesus, on the Sabbath day, saw her and said, come on up here. Now, we are Gentiles, so we don't really fully understand what this what big deal this was. But we do know that the commandment says that the Sabbath is holy and to keep the Sabbath. Now there's great debate as to whether that what that means. To the Jews, that meant you couldn't do a darn thing all, all Saturday. And they have an entire book that's really, really thick about all the things they can and can't do on Saturday. And that means it started at Friday evening as soon as the sun went down and went to Saturday when the sun went up. And if you've ever been to this, I had a Jewish friend one time. I went to his house on Friday and I had to get out by sunset because that was a problem. Right before sunset, they ran around opening all the cabinets and opened up all the, all the, all the, all the, all the sodas and everything that they might want to have. And they got the crock pot running with the food that they were going to have for the weekend and doing all this thing. You know, I was thinking I should go around and close all the cabinets. But they considered the opening of a cabinet work. They considered turning on a light switch work. You know, and you're getting to the place where this is what Jesus was making a point of. This was not what the Father meant when he said, honor the Sabbath. 
He wanted people paying attention to him, looking to him, and serving him, and not getting so wrapped up in what they were doing and covering. And this is what Jesus said. You know, and I just want to point out, you know, after Jesus healed him, all the other leaders in the synagogue attacked what he did. Now note this, is they did not attack Jesus. They said, uh, they answered with indignation because of what Jesus had healed, and they said to the people, not to Jesus. I think they'd already had enough confrontations with Jesus that they weren't going to talk to Jesus because they knew that he would say stuff to put them in their place and they would look bad. So rather than deal directly with Jesus, they went after the people. This was the problem Paul had. If you remember the book of Acts, every time Paul would go to a new, new place, he would start teaching the gospel. And what would happen? The Judaizers would move in, usually just as he was getting ready to leave. And, and their message was, well, Paul gave you a really good message, but he didn't tell you the whole message. He, he taught you all about this grace thing, but we got to get you, there's rules that you have to follow. You have to follow all these rules. And we as Christians need to be careful that we don't get bound up by following rules. Now, there are certain things that we know are wrong. You don't lie, you don't steal, you don't murder. The Ten Commandments, a lot of, uh, there are a lot of thou shalt nots. But how many times do we get bound up by rules and regulations put on to us by other people around us? Some churches have rules. I've been to churches where, you know, don't come to, I would not be properly dressed to come into their church. And I'm the, one of the best dressed people here other than my son with his suit. He's the only one that can come into a lot of churches out there. Ladies, most of you in this room aren't dressed right to come to most of those type of churches. <laughs> but does how you come, dress to come to church matter? No. How I come in attitude to worship God is what's important. We do not want to get bound up in legalistic rules. Jesus had more problems with the legalistic leaders saying, this is what you can't do, this is what you can do, and you've know, and you got to follow all these rules. And I've been places where if you follow these 25 rules, you're guaranteed to go to heaven. Now, they won't put it quite that quite that blunt, but they'll tell you, this is what you wear, this is what you do, this is what you don't do. You know, uh, I grew up in the 70s and 80s in the church, and boy, if you had long hair as a, as a guy, you were in trouble, and if you had short hair as a woman, you were in trouble. You know, and it was crazy. You know, and yes, they would find their scriptures and pull these scriptures out, but we are told that we have liberty. What does liberty mean? Basically, we have freedom. We have freedom to do different things. Now, also the word liberty means that I have to be able to do it without an issue. And I've shared this many times with you. I've had people come up to me. Is it okay if I do such and such? And you all know my answer. If you ask me that question, I'm going to say for you, no, because you're already doubting that you have liberty to do it. That simple. If you have doubts in your mind and you're questioning should I do something the answer is no because the spirit is working on you and saying it for, for you it is wrong you do not have liberty if you can do something without having any problem with it 
it's probably okay, and I'm going to say probably because there are still some rules out there. You don't commit adultery, you don't lie, you don't, you don't steal. There are some very clear rules that God says don't do these things. And you can't, I, you can't tell me, well, I have all the freedom in the world to lie. No, I'm sorry. You may have all the freedom in the world, but God says you shall not. <laughs> all right. Uh, so there, there's, I don't care how much freedom your sin nature wants to give you for something of that nature. <laughs> but there's a lot of gray areas that we have a lot of freedom to be able to live for God. And Jesus purposely violated the Jewish traditions that they had built around the laws. And the Jews, very freely, the Orthodox Jews will tell you that they build a great big fence around all of God's laws with greater laws and rules so that you don't break his law. And that's what they tell you. We've got this great big, we build a fence around God's law and then we build a fence around that fence so that if you break certain of our rules, you don't actually break God's rules. But the problem is they lift up their traditions to be equal to God's traditions. And Jesus broke those ones left and right. Now he's going, I'm going to break all of your laws. I'm not going to break any of God's laws, but I'm going to break your laws. And we need to be understanding that Jesus was looking at this. And his answer when, the, when these men criticized his action, not directly to him, because they said, you know, hey, there's six days to work. You, if you want to be healed, come on. Come, come on one, of, on one of those days. What were they doing? They were criticizing that woman for coming in and they were questioning her motive to come to, come to the synagogue. I think she came to worship. I don't think she came necessarily to be healed because it says Jesus called her forth. I think she came to worship and Jesus said, you need to be loosed. You need to be loosed from the bondage that you are in and I'm going to loose you. And his statement to the, to the leaders were, you are a bunch of hypocrites. He goes, you take your animals out of the stall in the morning, even on Sabbath. You, let them, you lead them out to the, to the water. You lead them out to the, to the grain to be fed. And this person, a daughter of Abraham, he said, you're upset that she was loosed she was freed of the pen that she was in and bound by this sin and this activity going in. Our job as Christians is to minister to one another. You know, how often do we look at somebody and say, I don't know about that person. Our job with each other is to encourage and edify. Our job is not to judge one another and to criticize one another. And unfortunately, many times in a church, people criticize and condemn. You know, and my goal is never, I hope, to do that. I want to encourage people. Because one thing I have learned over the years is encouragement wins over criticism. Now, there are times when people are doing something that needs to be corrected. But as we've, I've said many times, if you are not praying for somebody, you are not in a position to correct them. I don't care what you see. If you don't love them enough to be praying for them first, then you don't love them enough to be correcting them. Because now you're judging and you're not acting right. But if you're praying for somebody, then God says, now talk to them. Be my guest because you love them enough and you're going to come across in a much gentler tone because you've been praying for them. You've been lifting them up. And then God says, talk to them. 
But if you're not praying for them, don't be trying to correct somebody. Now, now there probably are exceptions, but I'm going to say as a general rule, if you're not praying for them, don't, don't be criticizing them. These people did not care enough for this woman who seems to have been coming to sanctuary for a long time, and they did not lift her up and pray. All they did was want to condemn her being healed. I can't even fathom that idea. This person is healing, has been healed, and what was her response, it says? She glorified God. I can understand that. For the first time in 18 years, she was able to stand up straight. First time in 18 years, she had strength. I can almost picture her jumping up and down and saying, this is exciting, I am healed, I can go, I can take care of my family, I can take care of my grandkids, I don't know how old she was, but I can do things now, and I am not having to be taken care of. How hard is it for some people to be taken care of even when they cannot do for themselves? I'm experiencing that a lot. You know, my mom and stepfather are having a lot of pains and aches and everything and they need to be taken care of and my mom is a mom and doesn't want to be taken care of. And it's hard. She has no strength to take care of anybody, no, no, no ability hardly to take care of anybody and still does not want to be helped because she's mom. I can picture this woman being that, being that person. I can barely cook dinner, but I'm going to be hunched over this, this uh, fire, and I'm going to keep that fire running, and I'm going to make dinner. And all of a sudden, she is healed. And she is now able to do the things that she's been wanting to do. Able to serve God. Able to serve her family. We need to be able to understand that God's purpose for us is that healing. He wants to heal us physically. He wants to heal us spiritually. And I think he wants to heal, heal us spiritually more than he cares about the physical healing. Because if, he, if we will really take his spiritual healing, we'll be ready to serve. We'll be ready to do. We'll be ready to step out and do something. Now what that something is, I have no idea. I'd have to get to know every single person and, and talk to you, and then even then I can't tell you what your, what your, what your gift is. Now, there are certain people, I, I know your gifts. You've been around long enough, I know your gifts. And if, you know the very first thing I'm going to tell you when you say I'm going to want to step out, I'm going to get ready for the attack. Satan does not like it when we step out to serve, to serve God. And he will try to stop you. And he will work hard to stop you. And he will find out what it will take to stop you. I think it's very funny when people want to start coming to church. And the very first thing that happens is on Sunday morning they'll get a cold. And if they will not come to church because of that cold, guess what's going to happen? Every Sunday morning or Saturday night, they're going to get a cold. And they're going to go, well, can't go to church, I'm sick. Now I'm saying if you're really sick, don't come to church. But you know, just because you get a cold or a sniffle on Sunday morning, come to church unless you're dying. Uh, you know, what does it take to keep you? I can't tell you how many times growing, when my kids were young that, that something would happen Sunday morning. The kids would act up just when it was time to go to church. My wife and I would have a fight on Sunday morning right before church. You know, fight in, fight in the car. <laughs> you know, 
argument in the car and you get to church and all you've been doing is arguing the whole way to church and you put on a nice smile on your face and try to pretend that nothing's wrong and you're not ready to worship. Satan is trying to get in the way. For some people, they would be in that fight in the car and they turn right back home, right around and go home and not, and not continue to church. What does it take to keep you from doing what God has asked you to do? Whatever it is, Satan is going to, to help you not come to church, not serve God. Learn it. Look at your life and say, what has kept me? What has stopped me from being in service for God? And then act upon it. Say, God, I am not going to let this get me down anymore. I'm going to step out and serve you. I am going to step out and move for you. Because it is easy to get shut down. Because we are of the world. And we think like the world. And it's easy because we don't necessarily want to go to church sometimes because the pastor or the teacher is probably going to say something I don't want to hear. And we want to be careful about that. Because if I'm not hearing something that challenged me, there's something wrong with the pastor. Or I'm so perfect I didn't need anything and I'm not going to go that route. I've had my toes stepped on so many times and I've shared with you, it's amazing to me when I'm listening to the, all the Christian speakers on the radio how they all got together that week and figured out what they needed to talk about me. Because all their messages seem to talk about me all the time. And I know that that's not true and I'm being facetious. I know it's the Holy Spirit that is working through them. And I hope you understand if I step on your toes, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. It just happens that the Holy Spirit works. And what really amazes me when somebody says that you said this about your message and I don't remember saying anything about what they heard. I think the Holy Spirit changed the words that they heard at some point in time because I've heard people say things and I'm going, that had nothing to do with my service sermon. I have no idea where that came from. But as long as you got touched, that's great. And this woman gets healed. They attack Jesus and Jesus says, you are being hypocrites. You're blaming me for doing something that you would have done yourself, but you didn't do it in the sanctuary for everybody to see. And this is where he's talking about to them. He says, she has been loosed from her bounds, her bonds. She was a captive to Satan. We need to be understanding that we all are captives in some part of our life. And Jesus' goal is to unbind us, to let us out of the prison that Satan has put us in, the prison that sin has put us in. And Jesus says, I have come to release the captives. And we need to understand that we all are captive. All of us have captivity in some part of our life. Some part. And if you don't, I want to know how you've gotten to be perfect. And then I'll point out that John says that if you say you're perfect and without sin, you're lying. So, you know, I know that I've got problems. I know that I've got areas in my life that need to be worked out. But the one thing I know is all of you do too. This should allow me to be very gentle with people who are captive. And why do I like the word captive? Because if you're, captive, if you're a captive, you're a prisoner of war, you have no choice. You are, in a, you are in a prison of some sort and there's guards around it and they're keeping you in and, and you're marking your time and, and God has to deliver you. And he's not delivering you from every single sin at one time. He's going to take one at a time 
and teach you to be free and release you. And you know, one of the hardest things about being released from that captivity is learning to walk and not be captive. You know, and you think, well, what's so hard about that? Well, as you all know, I work out at the prison. And you know how many times I've talked to guys who've gotten out of prison and even counseled them, and they cannot live outside the prison walls hardly because there's nobody telling them what to do. Nobody controlling every minute of their day. Satan has many of us captive and controlling us. And when Jesus sets us free, we have to learn to listen to his voice and follow him the way he wants us to follow. Learn to be free. And I love this. When Jesus put, it, put them in their place, it goes, they were ashamed. Literally, this means that they had nothing to say. This really wasn't that they were ashamed. They were, had been put in their place, and they knew that if they said anything at all, it wasn't going to work. Because Jesus had called them hypocrites and called them out. They knew where they were at with this, and they were ashamed. And the people rejoiced and glorified God. Ultimately, this should be our goal, to glorify God in all that he has done for us. How many times do we need to walk with God and say, thank you? How many times do we forget to say thank you to God and honor him and be glory in him? We, we need to spend more time just worshiping God in our life. You know, many people, about the only time they ever worship God is on Sunday morning when we come together and we sing some songs. But do we actually, in our prayer time, give God glory, give him adoration, maybe even sing songs? You know, I'm always humming a song, singing a song quietly, crossing, crossing, especially crossing the prison yard, I'll, I'll be softly singing a song or praising God. It's so much fun to, to just praise God. This is why it's important for us to sing and learn some of these choruses by heart, some of these hymns by heart. Have something to just worship God and be very thankful to God. And our prayer should be more thankfulness, more, more uh, adoration than supplication. Unfortunately, for most of us as Christians, it's God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, thank you, see you later. You know, instead of saying that he is good, he is great. If you read virtually every prayer in the Bible, they all start out with them talking about God and the great things he had done for, the, for them and all that he had done in their history, and then they would give the prayer. What, what is it that I want? I think that's very important because you just think if you, if you had somebody coming up to you and the only thing they ever, you had your kids coming up and the only time you saw your kids is, Dad, I want. Mom, I want. There's going to come a point where you're going to look at your kid and say, I don't want to see you anymore. <laughs> now, we probably would never see, say that to them because we love our kids, but we'd be thinking, oh, no, what do they want this time? We need to be able to tell God, thank you. And God, I love you for everything that you've done. And if for nothing else, he has given us salvation. He died on the cross for our sins. That would be enough to be thankful for for eternity. You know, I can picture, you know, and people go, well, I can't look at heaven and be, be in there. 
you know, praising God all the time. I can't think of anything better to do. I'll be in heaven because of what Jesus did for me. That alone would be something to be amazed and to pray about and to be thankful. And the people's response was to glorify God. So our challenge today is, are we going to edify people, especially the other church members? And are we going to really start learning to glorify God and being thankful for all that he has done? And that is what I'm hoping that we're going to find. You know, because when we get saved and we've accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins and we are born again, we have a great blessing. And our job then begins to share the good news. Share your testimony with people. What has happened to you? God has changed you, I hope. You know, when you get saved, you are a new creation. All things have become new. Now, all, for us, we would actually say all things will become new. But again, God's outside of time. He says you are brand new. And we will start living in that newness. And I've said many times, if you get saved, at least one thing should be changed in your life immediately. And then you'll get changed over the rest of your life. And I know that God changed my life when I got saved. He made some big changes in my life. And he has spent the last 50 years changing me. Little by little. Mostly because I'm a really stubborn person. And I don't listen very well. And he's had to bring out the gate by eight and pound me over the head many, many times because I've been stubborn most of my life. But God loves us enough to say, I am going to sanctify you. You are going to be made more perfect. And we want to be able to understand that that glorification is important for us and that God wants to show us his love. Now, God wants to make it easy for us. But if you want to be stubborn, he'll do what it takes to break your stubbornness. You know, and you know, I hope that you all are not as stubborn as I am. I, I'd be so much further if I wasn't stubborn because I wouldn't have had to fight you know, five, six years with him over certain things. But we need to learn to listen, learn to be obedient, and learn to glorify and edify one another, build up the other Christians. And this is where we're going to end, and we're, I hope that this has been a lesson for you, and we're going to seek God in all that we do. Lord, we ask you to bless this time. Lord, if there's anybody listening online that doesn't know you, that we ask today, they will recognize that they're a sinner and accept your sacrifice for their sins and become a follower of Christ and seek a Christian to mentor them. Lord, for all of those of us here, Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, we ask for the same thing. But Lord, for us who know you, Teach us to edify one another. Teach us to learn how to walk with liberty and to be able to edify one another and to glorify and to understand your great grace. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. 
You must mean the words to get the to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.